host, Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trigg-Hauger, and I'm a communicator here at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Maria Sanlis is a doctoral researcher at PRIO looking at the G5 Sahel Joint Force and counterinsurgency in Mali. That includes researching regional security cooperation, as well as understanding the relationships such a cooperation has with external actors, such as France, the EU, and the US. Her research requires interviewing relevant actors, often members of the military. And because she focuses on Mali, her fieldwork is heavily based there. Everyone at PRIO is required to do fieldwork training in order to be better prepared for any emergencies or eventualities they might face. Maria talked to me about her experience doing fieldwork in Mali and how it is to be a woman in the context of her research areas. So today we're going to talk about how uh, you've done your field work uh, as a woman in a conflict zone or in a in a conflict torn country, and the ways that that has affected your work and um, how it has maybe impacted the way that you do your research. And so we're going to go into all of the stuff about being in Mali, but maybe you could first start by talking about preparing to do field work because I think a lot of people who don't do research maybe don't realize how much preparation you actually have to do. Yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different ways of looking at preparing for field work. You have the very practical side of it. Um, at PRIO, we have to do a heat course, uh, hostile environment assessment training. Um, so I've been to that before going to Mali. And that, yeah, that basically covers everything from first aid, if there's a car accident, what to do if people are shooting at you, what happens during kidnapping, um, all of these things. So that's that's a course that I have to have to complete before going into the field. So that course that you're talking about, it takes place in England, is that correct? Or yeah. it, it takes place overseas? Yeah. yeah. So when I did it a couple of years ago, I went to just outside London um, and it's a three day course. Um, so yeah, at Prio, it's something that you have to do before going into the field. Because, you know, I don't usually or ever go into the field because my job is to stay here and help the researchers. But I also did one of those trainings. It wasn't the one that you did, uh, in, in England, but I did the one at Prio where we learn first aid and all these kind of things, but that was still pretty intense. I mean, we, we did simulations where people were, we're bleeding out and you know she brings the course instructor who's great brings in like fake guts and blood and um even though you know you know it's not real it's still pretty shocking and you have to make kind of these choices oh am i gonna like put a tourniquet on someone which i did and subsequently was told that i caused them to lose their arm unnecessarily (laughs) so i mean how does the the one that you do how does that differ because it sounds like it's even more intense with like the kidnapping and all these kind of simulations I mean, the main focus of the one that I took was still first aid, um, because I mean, even even though I've I've gone to a conflict country, um, I've mainly stayed in Bamako, in the capital, in Mali, and there the the main threat is still traffic. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of um, a lot of the focus on the course was first aid, but yeah, I mean, it is intense. One afternoon was dedicated to learning about kidnapping, and I mean, I mean that's scary. <laughs> um, but it, it's very it's it's a very practical course like how do you i guess i mean avoid being kidnapped like making sure that you change your routines never leave the hotel at the same time um but then also what do you do if you are kidnapped 
what can you expect from that kind of process? Uh, so, I mean, that's very intense to listen to and I guess also think about when going into the field. Um, but I've never experienced that kind of threat in the field. So it's more like a cautious, um, preem preemptive measure uh, for me at least so far. Yeah, and it's definitely a liability issue for any organization that's sending their, their uh, employees into what is still considered a dangerous place, I yeah. guess. Mm. So once you get there, once you get to Bamako, um, what is it like? It's... Um, Bamako, I experience it to be a little bit of a bubble in Mali. It feels completely safe. Um, you know, you hear about all these things that, that happens in the country, but when you're in Bamako, you just, it's still fairly distant, uh, I'd say. Um, but also like when I'm there, like going back to preparing for field work just a little bit is, is also for me to be, um, to have contacted people that I trust. Um, so I know that when I get to Bamako, I get picked up at the airport from someone that I already know and trust and he will drive me where I'm supposed to be. And I also choose to stay in a hotel where I've been before and and, and I know the people who run it. So it's it's uh, so for me, it's 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 a very like safe experience. Um, but more broadly, for me, fieldwork is just super exciting. It's it's where I do the majority of my learning. the The learning curve is so steep when you're out there. So so for me, it's 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 not necessarily scary, <laughs> even though we've talked about some of the scary parts of it. It's still just extremely exciting, I think, for my research. So, who are the kinds of people that you're actually interviewing? Yeah, so my research is on um, a military force in the Sahel region called the G5 Sahel Joint Force. Um, so my research is very militarily focused. Um, so some of the key interviews that I have is with uh, with uh, military personnel um, in in Bamako in 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 different uh, capacities, I guess, different forces and and uh, from from different countries. Um, but yeah, my, my, my key interviews are with yeah military guys, I guess, when I'm there. But I also have a lot of other interviews with people from the UN, um, people who've been living in the in this context for, for longer than obviously <laughs> me coming in there, but who actually knows the, the yeah, the context and the environment um and can yeah, teach me those things as well. Yeah. And when I heard you talking a little bit about this before, you mentioned your positionality and your position as a white woman doing field work uh, in Africa. Yeah. So maybe first we could define posi positionality mm -hmm. and then could you, yeah, maybe reflect a little bit about that for us? Yeah, so I mean, positionality is, is a, it's a very broad topic. But yeah, sorry for trying to make you define <laughs> that. It, it relates to... Um, I guess the broadest definition you can give it, give of it is uh, a researcher's relation to its research. So it can cover anything from my pre-existing knowledge on a topic, um, my biases, um, my identities, I guess. Um, but it also, like positionality also refers to like how I'm meeting people, who I'm meeting, who I view them as. So I mean, positionality covers a whole, <laughs> whole lot of a lot of things. Um, as a white young woman, I mean, 
I think first of all, like researching military topics um, and hard security issues. I think being a young woman, I'm probably in the minority because I think the majority of people who are in this field are usually men. I mean, I've been in a lot of discussions where we talk about how this might be associated with the history of colonialism and, and so on, where the European comes in and has this, like, I know better mentality. And I think, um, I hope that um, I'm not portraying that kind of picture of myself, because I'm very, um, the whole reason why I'm doing fieldwork is to learn. I'm not there to to share my knowledge with people, especially at this stage of my PhD, but I'm I'm there to learn. That's that's the whole purpose of, of doing fieldwork for me. I can only speak from my positionality, but I, I, I know that when I when I meet people in, in, in Bamako, if that's random or for interviews, they're usually surprised when I tell them what I'm researching, because they usually do think that I'm there through some NGO or an aid organization or something like that. So when I tell them that I'm researching the military dynamics of the region, they're surprised. And I guess that surprise can serve to my benefit a little bit, cause, because then maybe they're curious of <laughs> why and how. So have you been researching this topic and doing these kinds of interviews since your master's? Or how, lo- how long have you been going to Bamako and meeting these people? And uh, how, how have things changed over the time that you've been doing this research? So I was in Bamako now in February this year uh, for a month. And that was my first main um, fieldwork for my PhD. Um, but I was also in, in Bamako the summer of 2018, but that was as a research assistant on another project, also military focused. Uh, but then I was traveling with, with uh, yeah, then I was an assistant for other researchers who were there. So they were doing the main interviews, but I was, I was around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So has your perspective on your positionality changed or is it, has it been kind of consistent throughout the time that you have have done this research? I mean, I feel that positionality changes all the time. Like it's changed from when I was there the first time as an assistant, because then I was more in the background of everything. And obviously now that I'm I'm the one actually doing the interviews, I'm 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 there alone, so I'm there. I'm the one talking to people. But I also feel that my positionality changes when I'm in the field. Um, I mean, when I got to Bamako in February, I was very much an outsider. I didn't really know a lot of people, especially within um, within the, the, the sphere that I was uh, researching. Um, but I mean, when you've been there for for a month, you you get to know people, uh, you get a little bit more on the inside. Um, in Bamako, there's this expat community, which is, I guess, a little bit of a bubble in itself. Uh, and there, even though I'm an outsider, when I got there, most of them are European. Um, so I could feel like maybe I was more on the inside in that bubble than than I was when I first got there. So this whole like insider outsider positionality also changes during field work. And I mean, it also changes during interviews. Like when I first meet someone, I am, I guess, visually, I am this young blonde woman uh, who's coming into what essentially is a conflict country. Um, 
so I kind of when I t- when I talk to people, especially military people, I kind of have to I have to prove that I know what I'm talking about for them to be engaged in the conversation. I think so. I think my positionality changes also just in an interview, or I, I hope it does. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, positionality is a massive topic <laughs> and it covers <laughs> so many things. And and yeah, so my position, positionality definitely changes um, a lot. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of disagreement about what positionality means and as well how important it is. Obviously for you, you find it very important. Yeah. But one of the things I also heard you talking about um, previously was how this gives power to your interviewee. Um, how do you how do you feel like your appearance or your uh, yeah your position gives power to them versus versus the opposite? I mean, so the majority of my interviews is with military personnel, uh, and they are usually guys. They're usually older than me. Um, so obviously, when I step into a room, um, I'm the one who's a young woman, and I'm talking to usually an older man, or at least some a little bit older than me. Um, and I think that um, I think that probably hopefully makes them feel quite comfortable because I don't think that they see me as threatening or they look suspiciously at me because I think I appear fairly I guess I look fairly naive maybe um (laughs) (laughs) um um, so I think that puts them in 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 the power position where they feel that maybe they need to teach me they need to tell me what the actual situation is and for me that's that's fantastic because that's what I that's what I want I want them to to teach me what I don't know um and I think that also makes them more comfortable as well to actually talk if they feel that they are not being interrogated in any way but they're just chatting to someone who's very curious because that I definitely am <laughs> definitely ask a lot of questions I was thinking when you were talking about that just now that, of course, that is a gender aspect that you're a young woman and yeah, and maybe at first they don't perhaps take you as seriously and they want to bestow knowledge on you, which is obviously an advantage when you're a researcher because that's what you want. You want more information. Um, But I was thinking I've kind of experienced the same thing just in my everyday life. I mean not doing research just being a woman in the world yeah. so it's it's interesting that maybe um your experience just <laughs> as a woman in Norway has perhaps also prepared you for this kind of situation yeah i mean we're about the same age same gender like we know gender stereotypes like we know we experience that frequently how people look at us and assume things i guess um and I mean, like, they're not necessarily wrong in everything. Uh, when I'm when I am in Bamako, I'm I'm I is, I'm guessing that compared to them, I probably am a bit naive and I probably am uninformed. So them teaching me is the right way of going about things. But it's also, for me, it's it, it's. I guess this gender stereotype, or I don't know what you want to call it, um, but assumptions about me, I think. I kind of have to embrace that as well and uh, definitely not get offended <laughs> yeah um because because uh yeah compared to them part of it is probably true but also an opportunity for me to surprise maybe impress I don't know 
I seem to remember this being a topic in one of your courses as well. Um, This is a while ago, but at the university, I think you told me about a teacher who was talking about gender and field work. I don't know if you want to touch on that, but it just I just remembered that anecdote and it, it struck me as being really relevant to this conversation. I'm trying to remember. Uh... I, he was talking about revealing clothing or, or something and and how that could be. I think he said something about don't wear revealing clothing or do wear revealing clothing. I don't remember, but it was it would seem very pointed towards female students of course i mean what guy is going to be told to to focus on his clothing and his research um but yeah it's just it it's one of those things that women are the only ones that kind of have to think about it but it seems like you obviously turn this uh into a strength yeah instead of a a so-called weakness and i mean in some context you have to think about it i think that particular um teaching experience was related to when you appear in media or something like that. Yes, that's that what you it have was. to yeah. appear proper. Uh, and yeah, obviously that was very related to women yeah. <laughs> and not so much the men in the room. Right. Um, but I do think that when you're in the field, um, definitely the way you dress is important. Um, when I'm in Mali, I'm the, the one visiting. So I have to respect the cultures there. I... I will cover my shoulders, I will cover my knees, I will wear a shawl around my head if if that is is um, the norm. Um, that's, that's not uncomfortable for me. But I mean, the way I dress in meetings and stuff as well helps this um, positionality, um, especially when I'm doing like elite interviews. Uh, I guess I have to dress a certain way to be taken seriously. Um, so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> clothing is important. Um, maybe not that important for media parents, uh, <laughs> for a student in, in Norway. But but when you conduct interviews, I do feel that it's important to, I guess, um, apply what is um, suitable because you you don't want to overdress either because yeah. that messes with one perhaps the power balance but also like your appearance um but you definitely want to dress uh in a suitable way depending on who you're meeting so when when we had this conversation about field work uh the other day one of the concrete steps that another researcher said was that she never wears makeup mm. um so are there any concrete steps that you take Appearance-wise, or or just preparing for these interviews uh, to sort of set the scene for you as a researcher in this context. I mean, the whole um, makeup thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I do elite interviews, I actually dress up a little bit. Um, that makes sense. It's more of a formal. It's more setting. formal, exactly, exactly. So I have to dress up a little bit. But when I'm meeting people more randomly, I guess um, not so much. So we're almost out of time, but do you have any uh, tips or advice to, I mean, anyone doing fieldwork, but especially for other young women? I mean, I love fieldwork. I I genuinely feel that this, that time that I'm in the field is the most rewarding of of my research. Um, So I I just want to encourage people who might be too, 
scared to do it or might feel that they're a bit limited to just throw yourself out there. Um, I, I never plan my field work in detail from day to day. I try to book in a couple of meetings from early on, but then I just let the ball roll and they refer me to other people. And and for me, that's that's just how the field work goes. Um, it's, it's quite intense to be there. Um, it is thinking about work 24 seven, but I think that's also why it's so rewarding. Um, so, I mean, like before I did field work, I had this impression that people said that going into the field as a young woman can be dangerous, uh, can be scary, and you have to be very aware of different things. And yes, of course you have to be like, take precautions, like definitely. Um, but I've never experienced anything uncomfortable to the part where it's actually scary um, and I think like especially young women are probably oh, I don't know how to say this um, I think a lot of research would benefit from young women being in the field because I think um, I think we can contribute a lot to research, um, not necessarily only through like access to different people and so on, but I think that we bring an important voice to research. And if that is on hard security topics like I do or anything else, I think it's important. Um, I think it's important to actually raise that voice. Um, and I, yeah, I think I would like to see um, more young women sharing from fieldwork experiences so that we actually get a coherent picture of, of what it actually is because my experience is mainly positive um, but before going in I had this idea that maybe it wouldn't be so positive. It's nice to hear that you that you have had such a positive experience and uh, despite the quite intimidating training beforehand that, that you've had <laughs> a lot of success with your fieldwork and, and it sounds like it's been mostly very enjoyable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks so much, Maria. Thanks for picking Prio's Peace in a Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute, Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Trig Hauker. Music by Martin Rennemann.